time for the SBL shoot around, and we got the women's competition covered with Giants all-time great and two-time coach of the year, Randy McGill, joining Chris Pike for all the latest news, analysis, and interviews. Let's go on another SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to another episode of SBL Shootaround. And now we're in episode nine. And all of a sudden, for the very first time, we have real life basketball action to, to review on the show. We've got another round all ready to look forward to for this coming weekend. We've got a very, very special guest, one of basketball's great players that, that has come out of Western Australia, one of the great winners, one of the one of the most productive and efficient players that we've ever produced. And she's still got two daughters that are running around playing in the league right now who are very exciting. And we've also got a, a brand new award. Now that we're up and running with the West Coast Classic, we have a Player of the Week award that we'll be announcing every week. And we've got a very special partner along with us, which I'll let my co-host announce as the show goes along. I'm Chris Pike, the other co-host, but the man that will provide you with everything you need on this week's show, Randy Meagle. Thanks for joining me again. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's good to be here and, you know, it's good looking over the stat sheet. You know, yeah. it's great to talk about uh, what happened over the weekend, you know, who's playing, who's not not playing, so it's going to be good to dissect it a bit. It's exciting, isn't it? Now, all of a sudden, we're, we're getting to do what we wanted to do to start with on this show, which was talk about the basketball action here. It's not quite the SBL, but I didn't really feel any different watching it on the weekend. The West Coast Classic to the SBL, I feel like the standard was pretty pretty similar to what we would have expected. And, yeah, we're playing in the same stadiums. There was good crowds right across the weekend. I thought the action I saw starting at Williston on, on Friday night for, for the opening of that stadium and, and, and you know, heading up to Warwick on, on Saturday night and then heading heading back out to Mirabooker on Sunday. The action I saw was, was fantastic. It was great to see basketball back. And I know you took in some action on Saturday night as well. Did you just get a feeling that everyone was so happy to, to see some action? Yeah, I was going to ask you about the crowds. What sort of numbers were, what was the crowd at the Williton yeah, Lakeside opening? Yeah, well, that was fantastic. So I think they still had rest- some sort of restrictions on the amount of people that could come yeah. in. But yeah, they announced on the night there was there was 550 people there at the stadium and it was it was fantastic. The atmosphere was terrific. It's a luxurious stadium. If you get a, you had a chance to go and have a, have a look, they've all of a sudden got double the amount of court space there. And for anyone that knows the Williton basketball setup, you know that it's probably been the strongest in, in WA basketball for a long time, but they just haven't had court space. So all of a sudden they've got double the core space there and they've got a they've got a fantastic show court the setup was was terrific you know grandstand setting on both sides plenty of room for for spectators the facilities were great the technology was great they got a scoreboard on each side of the the stadium as well so you you, yep. do, you don't have to kill your neck to look turn around and look at this at the scoreboard and you know a lot of people were there 500 plus people but they probably could have easily doubled that as well because of the space that, that they've gotten and even up at warwick on on saturday night for a standard standalone men's game that place was was reasonably full as well and and at mirabooka for a just a standalone men's game on Sunday as well. There's probably almost as many people there for an East Perth home game than I've ever seen as well. So certainly in the games I saw, there was there was plenty of people turning out. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I went to Mandra Redbacks women game and I had a look at the live stats and it had a, a crowd total oh, and they yep. said 100, but mm. that was wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I reckon there was probably at least 200 to 250 yep. at that game too. And yep. Yeah, it was a really good atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just great to have the action back. And as obviously as we go along with this show, we'll run through the round, round one results from the West Coast Classic. Plenty of surprises, both in terms of the results and also some of the people that we saw as standout performers it was a fascinating weekend of basketball action but before we get stuck into that randy 
We've got a very special guest we're going to be talking to this week. She's a great of WA basketball. There's no doubt. She's a she's an MVP winner of the SBL. She's a she's a championship winner from the from the WNBL. She's a grand final MVP from the WNBL. And I think her coaching brain is as good as anybody. She's been a coach in the league. Can you let us know who our, our special guest is? Yeah, we're talking to Tanya Fisher. Um, so yeah, pretty excited about that, and look forward to talking to her very soon. Was it difficult to coach against her? Did you did you feel sorry for her at times because you knew that you knew that she could coach, but she didn't quite have the cattle to work with at, at East Perth? I'd had talks with Tanya, you know, just uh, at other games, and you know, and obviously she's she's got the basketball brain, so I didn't feel sorry for her because I knew what she was trying to achieve. Yep. Um, it was just a more, I think, sometimes the girls let her down a little bit in in whatever it might have been. You know, there was there was definitely the effort there, and you know, I thought I thought they were on the right track last year. So I, no, I didn't feel sorry for her. No, she wouldn't <laughs> want me to feel sorry for her. No, but, uh, no she would have right. been very frustrated, <laughs> yeah. no doubt, at times. No, you're right. She's not somebody that would take sympathy very quickly, would she? But no. No, I'm really excited to talk to her. I've had a couple of great chats with her over the last couple of years, but I'm glad to do that now where all of our listeners can actually listen in and, and she's got such an amazing story to tell from her involvement in basketball. I can't wait to get stuck into that. But before we continue, we wouldn't be here without the support, again, of Bassett Scarf Realty, the best real estate company in the business, if, especially in the Mandurah region, Randy. You know them very well. Adam is the is the principal owner down there. He's our great supporter, and he's got his daughter playing some great basketball now as well. So whatever the, whatever Adam's doing there to help out, he's fantastic. But for all of your real estate needs down in the Mandurah region, Bassett Scarf Realty are the ones that will look after you. They've supported us here. So we urge you to support them in return. You can check them out at bassettscarf.com.au. And speaking of supporters, Randy, we've got a brand new supporter this week. You promised that we would announce it last week and you've come through, you've delivered. Um, Before we talk about the contenders for the player of the week from round one of the West Coast Classic, who have we got on board to sponsor this segment? Uh, we've got uh, Wandering Distillery, so great to have them on board. Great place. They're a local producer of, of a range of quality gins, um, family-owned and operated. The distillery is located in Ladner Street in O'Connor. It's actually open for distillery tastings. So if you want to go down there, you just you need to book a tasting. Phone Wade on 0439. 0439- 131-236 or visit the website wanderingdistillery.com.au and it's also available you know, at many liquor stores and good bars in, in Perth. Well, I'll be definitely checking that out and I'll be saying that <laughs> I'll be saying that I'm part of SBL Shootaround so if you're a listener, mention SBL Shootaround when you go in and you never know what sort of a special deal you could, could get so it's so exciting that people are willing to support us here. We're, we're doing this out of our passion for basketball and to, and to promote the game but the fact that people are supporting us it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, so we want to call it the Wandering Distillery Player of the Week. Yep, so. we will. So our very first Player of the Week, round one of the West Coast Classic. I've had a run through all of the games and I've got four nominees to put forward. Randy, I'm not sure if you want to put anyone else forward, but my four nominees, Stacey Barr from the Warwick Senators on, on Friday night, the reigning MVP, she poured in 38 points, seven rebounds, four assists, six of 10 from three-point range, and her team beat the Prairie Lakes Hawks in a, in a tight one. Then we had Jewel Williams, the rising star from the Perth Lynx and obviously at the Calamundra Eastern Suns. She played two games over the weekend. We will ignore her nine turnovers in the first game, but across the two games she scored 45 points and, and it was an impressive weekend for the, the Eastern Suns. Now, the Mandurah Magic, we've talked all ever since our first episode here on this show, Randy, that they've needed needed some people to step up because they're mm. they're very much lacking in, in their star power. No Casey Milo right now. They didn't have Ra- Ra- Rachel Helene on the weekend. I think Kelly Bailey only played one of 
of the, the two games. No Emmercles Storney, um, who was actually playing for the Goldfield Giants on, on Saturday night out at Warwick, which was which interesting to see her not in a Mandra Magic uniform. No Bree Clastorny either because she's she's going to be having a baby pretty soon. And of course no no Carly Bogue um, and no imports. So They've needed someone to stand up at the Mandra Magic and, and wouldn't you know it, Olivia Bassett-Scarf was the one that was a standout over the weekend and I'll give a shout out to, to Casey Meagle who had a great, especially first night as well on Friday but Olivia was fantastic over the two games 35 points and 12 rebounds she combined for, so fantastic to see a player who might not have got the opportunities if this was our normal SBL season, to grab the, her chances and then on Friday night Lakeside Lightning beat the Willis and Tigers Ash Eisenbarger, you might recognise her more as Ash Grant, she was the difference between the two teams, 26 points and 12 12 rebounds. He was fantastic. Um, before we decided on those four, Randy, have you got anyone you'd like to add to the list? Um, I'd just like to take a... I'm going to have a shout-out to a young girl that I was pretty impressed with for the Redbacks. I was actually trying to talk to her after the game, but I, I couldn't find her. I lost her. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but um, she had some quality output over over the two games. Her name's Brooke Malone. Mm. Um, she had, I think, 10 points in 10 minutes uh, or 12 points in 12 minutes against the Wolves. And then she came out on Saturday night and had 16 points in 16 minutes against the Magic. She'd done it inside and out and... Uh, I hadn't seen her before, so I was really impressed with with what she done. But so yeah, that's a shout out to her. But uh, you know, I think the the girls that you've mentioned are probably the contenders. So um, are we announcing it? Well, like, yeah. Are we going to debate it? Or we'll have to debate it unless we come to the same conclusion. Right. Well, you go first. I'll, okay. Uh, <laughs> my heart says Olivia Bassett Scarf. That, that's where my heart is heading towards. Um, but I don't know if we can go with our heart over our brain right now, can we? So aside from that, I'm going to go Ash Eisenberger because I saw her performance in person on Friday night. Um, I'm going to go for Stacey Barr. Okay. Um, I mean, she's poured in 38 points, so 6 of 10 three-pointers against the quality side. So mm. Now, you've thrown me under the bus, Randy, because in our pre-show discussion, we <laughs> both decided we wouldn't be going for Stacey. So now you've thrown a real spanner in the works. Um, it probably was the standout performances. No, when I looked at it a bit more, I just couldn't go past <laughs> it. You know, Jill Williams's performance is, yep. is great too. So, yep. it, it, yeah, It's hard to go against the 38 points, isn't it? Especially when we've talked about the Senators team, we've talked about her combination this year with Michaela but she didn't play on the weekend um, so she she did have to do it on her own because I didn't have Sam Roscoe either so I didn't have quite the amount of star power we thought they would have um, you probably swayed me it's really hard to to say no to a 38 point game isn't it yeah it is it is okay so the inaugural winner of the wandering distillery player of the, the week is Stacey Barr she is and she's really racking up the awards reigning MVP um, you tipped her for the MVP again this year but I think we're going to have to put a limit on it I don't think you can win this award more than once no that's fair enough yep, fair yep enough. I think so, so it's, we'll get a voucher out to Stacey at some time we will this she'll, week. Get, she'll get a very special special voucher I don't know whether we should give it a Dion pass on to Stacey though it might go missing I don't think Dion would pass it on would he <laughs> <laughs> Dion would well and truly pocket it so we're going to have to hand it to Stacey ourselves and physically see her take it off our hands or else it's not going to happen so um, we'll get it to Stacey we'll get it to you within the next next week or two as soon as either Randy or I see a, a Senators game or I'm sure somebody lives near Warwick Stadium I'm sure we'll get it there <laughs> there somewhere I know my my in-laws are very close to, to Warwick Stadium with actually within walking distance so we actually walk to the game from from their house on Saturday night. Even Ben Etridge is within walking distance, even though he can't walk right now. So Stacey will get you your your award very shortly. Yep, fantastic. Now, Randy, we'll wrap up that first segment. When we come back, we'll go through the results from round one of the West Coast Classic. And then after that, very excited to speak to Tanya Fisher. 
Okay, Randy, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and we've waited nine weeks for this. We've all, all of a sudden got a full round of the West Coast Classic to review. So let's not waste any more time because we do need to get to Tanya Fisher as soon as we can and have a have a really good chat with her. It all started Friday night up at HBF Arena. The Drindle Up Wolves, a big win, surprisingly big win over the Perth Redbacks. They won 75 to 49. Yeah, and uh, Chelsea Belcher, 15 points, uh, 3 of 5. A great game by Chelsea. I've watched Chelsea uh, over a number of years um, play, and she's such an exciting player. You know, when she gets going, she's got a you know really nice jump shot. So it was good to see her get her a result. And then I spoke about Brooke Malone there. Yeah. So. And then down at Eden Recreation Centre, Southwest Slammers, they lost on their home floor to the Mandra Magic. The Magic won 64 to 56. Yeah, I watched this on Life Stats, and uh, it was it was really close. Mandra really only got away the last probably three or four minutes in the third quarter, and just maintained a little bit of a gap there, which the Slammers couldn't get back. A couple of interesting names for the Slammers: Kate Fielding and Courtney Bayless. They wouldn't have been playing in the SBL season, but good to see them now stepping up to play in this in this in this West Coast Classic. So we'll keep an eye out out for them. Willington, Willington Basketball Stadium. We spoke about this game a bit earlier. Um, Lakeside Lightning got the win over Will, a very scrappy Willington. I don't think Simon Parker would have loved what he saw throughout the night. Lakeside got up sixty-three to fifty-two. Yeah, well, it let me down a bit with my tips. I picked them in both games <laughs> over the weekend and, and didn't do me any favours. But uh, uh, with the Lightning there, I, I noticed that both Jacobs twins were, were playing, which gives them a lot of speed and run. And I think that's one thing that I sort of were questioning a little bit. But um, yeah, with those girls in there, that makes them completely different. Now, we thought this game would be the game of the round, and it probably did turn out to be that way, and it was a close one. And in the end, our play of the week came from this game too. Warwick Senators beat the Perry Lakes Hawks 82-77. to Yeah, good high standard game, you know, just by looking at the scores. And, um, you know, Stacey must have been on fire there. You know, you look at the Hawks squad there, they were had quite a strong side, but weren't able to, able to stop it. Would have been a good game to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And then at Herb Graham Leisure Centre, good start for the Calamander Eastern Suns. They got the win 83-66 to over... The East Perth Eagles. Yeah, this is the other team that hurt me in my tips because <laughs> I didn't pick them. Yep. And they got two wins. But, um, you know, once again, we didn't know who, who was playing. And, you know, they've added Jesse Edwards, who, when we reviewed Calamunda, that was one point I thought they were lacking was a quality size. Yep. size rebounder. And they've got that. And, uh, you know, so they've got, got the win there. Yeah, she's fresh off signing again at the Perth Lynx as well. So very exciting for, for Jesse. Um, Saturday night. Game you're out, Randy. Um, you can give us a little bit of an insight. Perth Redbacks bounced back from Friday night to beat the Mandurah Magic 79-46. Yeah, Redbacks were in control of this the whole game. Um, they used Matty Allen and Jess Jenkins really well. They sort of threw the ball inside, sucked the Mandurah defence in, kicked it back out. You know, uh, Redbacks had a lot of open three-point shots. Uh, Matty, you know, just tormented the girls defensively, you know, a few blocks and intimidation and stuff like that, you know, which made it hard for the Mandurah girls to get to the basket with not a lot of size and you know and Jess Jenkins there with 15 points she was slashing to the basket and posting the smaller opponents up so this game wasn't really close at any stage they got to jump on them and, and lead comfortably Rockingham Flames then I guess we, we say that they started their championship defence given they still are technically the reigning champs on their home floor beat the Coburn Cougars 84-68 to 68. yeah another one that I got wrong as well <laughs> I started on fire but uh, Paris Duffield there you know 20 points she can get really hot you know she's sort of been down the bench a little bit over the last or last season with, with the Flames and then with the Lightning but I've seen her play games where she can get hot real quick so it looks like that happens there bit of a shout out to Hayley D'Souza there 13 yeah. points and 11 rebounds which is a good return for her. Mm-hmm. She's a good player. So, yeah, Flames uh, roll on, so it's a good start for them. 
Absolutely. Last game of the weekend out at Ray Owen Sports Centre and Calamunda Eastern Suns continue their good week, good weekend, good start for them. They beat the Wilton Tigers 83 to 69. Yeah, Jill Williams and Jesse Edwards had a standout yeah. game here. Um, you know, Jill was up there looking, you know, like she could have been the player of the week and she you know, could have gone that way, you know, but we mm-hmm. decided to go the other way. Um, Emma Gandini, that's a, a great output for her, 20 points, seven rebounds and five still. And she also plays fantastic defence. Yeah. Yeah, she hounded the lakeside lakeside guards on, on Friday night. Um, yeah, so there we go. Round one of the West Coast Classic is done. Now, before we get to Tanya Fisher, just a reminder, if you've missed it at the start of the show, Randy, who was our Player of the Week? The Wandering Distillery Player of the Week was Stacey Barr with 38 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, and she was 6 of 10 from three-point land. Nice, nice way, way to start your MVP yeah. defence. So thanks for that, Randy. And when we come back, we'll be speaking to Tanya Fisher. Okay, so back here on SBL Shoot Around, and very excited about about our guest this week, Randy. We we the reason we started up this podcast, or one of them, was to be able to speak to the great players of of SBL and basketball history in WA, and and they don't really have a voice to get their stories out there, and that's what we hope to do. And and our, our special guest this week, we can't go much higher higher up the tree. She's a she's a WNBL championship winner, a grand final MVP. She's an SBL MVP. She's got two pretty handy daughters playing in the league right now. Um, she's got a hell of a coaching brain for anyone who's had a chance to sit down and talk to her as well. Tanya Fisher, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> What's life like for you right now? Obviously, the last couple of years you've been you've been coaching at SBL level. Um, you've been you've been a mother, which I'm sure they've had a lot more going on in their lives than than just just their basketball as well, which you've had to deal with. You've got to work a full time job. Um, but how much has things changed this year for you, and how are things going right now? Um, well, it's changed quite considerably for me given that um, in the last few years I do have a, a quite an intense job that involves a fair bit of travel around the state and interstate and of course that's all um, come to completion and I've stepped back from coaching so that, that's taken a step down and I have both my daughters home and Erin of course coming back from the state much earlier than we anticipated so we have a full household again so let's just say 2020 is a little bit different than what I anticipated that it was going to be but um, mm. I enjoy working from home I'm used to work the mobile work environment so that side of things hasn't professionally hasn't been too much of a stretch but the, the lack of basketball is just that thing it's all crazy so that's yeah, very very different <laughs> before I hand you over to Randy um, what was it like on the weekend watching your daughters play for East Perth without you coaching them how did you find that um, it was very different because it's been a, well, I have had, um, instances when they've gone away for nationals and things like that. Mm. And of course, since Aaron's been over in college where I, I'm just a spectator. Um, but of course, SBL, I'm used to being a lot more involved than, than what I was. So it was good just to be able to sit back and, and watch with an analytical eye, but not have to actually contribute anything during the game. I, I found that to be quite relaxing. So I think it's something I can settle into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tanya, Randy here. How are you? Good, Randy. Thanks. That's good. And the the appointment of Blake um, is sort of given a, a breath of fresh air in one way, I guess, and um, you'd be more than happy, I'm guessing, that uh, Blake's taken over the, the reins and he looks like he's, he's in it for the long haul. So uh, you got any sort of comments on, on Blake and his, and his coaching, what you've seen so far? Look, Blake's worked this opportunity. He's worked in a lot of support roles around and he puts so much extra time into player development across so many different associations um, and he's 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 keen and he's committed and he has a wonderful way of dealing with um, with the players like he's very communicative and 
um, and he welcomes feedback. So he's I've always had a lot of time to play. He's one of my favourite people and I was really excited when he was able to step up and and take this opportunity this year and so far he's doing great. I mean, it was a, a hell of a year to to sort of take on your first head gear yeah. in 2020 with COVID um, but he's reacted well to the challenge and he's kept right on top of it, through it throughout it all. It's not an easy thing to keep a team and a squad together when everything's so up in the air and he's performed admirably and he'll only go from strength to strength because he is in it for the long haul and he's in it to learn so he will get better and better as the years go by as well. So... Yeah, so looking forward to watching that as well. He's a bit, like I said, I really admire his coaching philosophy and I love working with him. So, yeah, I was really happy when he took over the team. Yeah, you make a great point because I remember talking to you at some point last year when we caught up and you, you had worked with Blake a little bit in the preseason and, and you were kind of of the opinion that if you weren't going to be coaching, you know, moving forward, that he would be almost the perfect candidate. And it's turned out that way, I think. You know, if you weren't coaching this year, I think, you know, you couldn't have been any more happy that, that he's taken over. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Got so much time for him. Yeah. And just as far as the squad tenure, is it reasonably similar to what, what you had to um, deal with as well? Or has sort of Blake brought a few more girls on, on board? Is it is it quite strong number-wise? Are you sort of look, got 12, 15, 20 girls down at training? Yeah, he's he's got a bigger squad because he Blake coached in the um, state country um, system as well at, at a state level over in national. So he's got a couple of girls that have come through that that he's had contacts with, and also his involvement with Aussie prospects um, has fostered a couple of relationships where girls have come across on the basis of knowing him through that as well. Yeah. Um, and that was always going to be one of Blake's strengths as well because he's always worked on that forefront of the developing um, youth coming through, and he has a very good reputation amongst them as well. So it's probably a little bit more, it's probably a bit bigger and certainly um, a lot more talent heavy now with the inclusion of some of those girls. But again, they're still faced with that same reality that they are young and this is going to be an ongoing process. So he has my full sympathies because it's not easy taking a development side but, and it is something that you need to take on for a long-term commitment and be prepared to dig in and, and get through those initial teething problems. But um, I think that they'll do well. I think they'll perform a lot better in the league this year than what they have previously, being that just a little bit older and um, with the extra blood that he's brought in, it improves everything. You know what it's like. It raises the calibre at training. Um, it it um, drags anyone who's less motivated along because the new people coming in um, increases levels of competition. So I think they'll do better this year as well. Yeah. Yep. Um. I promise not to dwell on this too often because you're you're one of the great winners in WA basketball history. So we don't need to remind you too often of the fact that the last two years you had a one and forty three record. I, I promise, <laughs> but but I mean from from the times that I spoke to you, I really admired that you had a long term vision for what you were trying to build there at East Perth, and it was much more about winning games of basketball. You wanted to you basically wanted to get a lot of these kids off the street and use basketball as a platform to help them make something of their lives whether or not it was ending up playing SBL basketball or going to college or doing something totally unrelated to basketball to make a success of their lives. Um, did, did you feel like things were, were working? Did you feel like the things that you wanted to do, you were getting a chance to, to try to see, to see that through? Well, most of the girls that were there last year are back again this year. So, yeah. um, so in that sense, yes, it's come through. But, um, look... There's, there's different challenges in each club and with East Perth as a club, the, the challenge is that and it's, we're, they're still not there yet um, and they are working hard on it, but there's a lot of work to be done. 
you, the strength of the club is always going to come from the calibre of the junior team that you bring through. So you have to have a winning um, culture in your junior um, program before you can translate that out. Because otherwise you're spending large amounts of money bringing in imports all the time. You're not really having mm-hmm. an invested community in the actual club. So that's still something that they're working on <clears throat> and now they're continuing to try and improve on. It's just not its not a fast process. It's something that takes years and years to, to be able to develop that fully. And um, and my job when I came in was to use the youth contingent and that saved budget for us for a couple of years and um, mm. it's enabled Blake when we get back to a full season to have a little bit more budget up his sleeve to be able to bring in more experienced players that command a higher salary that will actually be able to give back to the juniors coming through. So there's a method in every madness. It's everything that we yeah. do with basketball, as much as we want to be community spirit, also has to have a, a strong business case behind it with what you're actually spending money on, especially in the women's program. So mm-hmm. um, it had a purpose, and I think that it's going to continue. And I think that in the longer term, the long-term strategy is actually trying to strengthen that junior program is key as to whether that's going to, to keep going forward. But I think they've got someone good there with Blake. He's got, he, he puts yep. in so much extra time as a coach, and... He's very invested in that junior contingent, so I think that they're on the right track now. So I'll be I'll be watching with interest as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for whatever reason, last year ended up to be a lot more dramatic than I'm sure you ever wanted to be in terms of problems with with your import, problems with other players, and oh. it, it turned yeah. out to be. <laughs> I mean, you wanted it to be a perfect development year where you were trying to get things on the right track, but gee, you had some hurdles to overcome, and I I couldn't help but feel sorry for you, and more and more sorry for you as the year <laughs> went on. And I, I'd, I mean, I would listen to you in the huddles, and and you've you've got such an incredible basketball brain, but you just had such a young group that probably wasn't ready to accept what you were teaching them i mean did you no two twofold yeah. did you feel like you needed needed a break after the how hard last year was now but would you also like to maybe coach in a similarly experienced team to what randy had down in mandra where they might be ready to actually challenge for a championship because i think i think maybe you as a coach because of your winning nature as a player maybe that's the perfect sort of group for you to to coach next if you do get back into coaching yeah, definitely. And that's why I sort of, um, when I stepped back, I um, undertook a bigger role. I was meant to be over in um, America at the moment with Aussie Prospects taking over their, mm. um, the, junior, the development team of aspiring athletes trying to get into a college program. So, and, and you, you are right. It's very, yeah, but you can't coach down, you can't coach down SBL level. You have to be trying to see who you're going to be able to bring through. Um, who's going to have the basketball intellect, who's going to have the commitment, the levels of commitment required to actually take that step up. You've got to coach up. You've got to set a standard and coach to that For standard. Sure. You can't dumb it down. So, um, and, that, and that's what it's done. It's identified people that will come through the ranks that will actually have that ability to continue um, into in, in having a, a strong SPL career. But myself personally, yes. I... It's very, very difficult if you've been a highly competitive player too. If you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't have that same level level of competitiveness in your team, it is very, very difficult. It's very challenging to not impose your own personal values onto your players because you you have to try and motivate them in different ways to bring them up to that level. And not everybody's going to make it. Everyone might think that they want to be great and they've got all the talent in the world, but let's face it, it requires almost a an obsessive personality to, to be focused on where you want to go and to what you want to do and to dig in and do all the extra work that actually takes you there. And it's very hard to coach someone who wants to get there but doesn't actually want to do all the bits and pieces that come in between that. And it is exhausting. And I did find after two years I was exhausted, particularly with my work schedule as well. It was just it was extremely challenging. 
And, um, yeah, so I set that with Aussie Prospects because they're a little bit more competitive at that level. They're trying to get into college. They want to go somewhere with it. They're, you know, they're hungry for that success. So that suited where I was sort of at a little bit more. Mm. Uh, Tanya, just getting onto your playing career, um, yes. correct me if I'm wrong here. So are you born and bred in Geraldton? <laughs> I, I wasn't born in Geraldton. I was born in Northern. Yep. My family is from the Wildcatching Farming District, but I was raised in Geraldton, yes. Okay, so you moved to Perth. Was that um, sort of what sort of age and was that related to, to basketball and uh, trying to get better at basketball? Yeah, it all fell together. Um, I'm going to use a couple of names that are well known in, in, the, in the ancient basketball history here, but when <laughs> I was playing in Geraldton, we were very lucky to have a, a gentleman who was actually on his um, country rotation who was an extremely skilled referee by the name of John Stone. Now, John Stone still works with Australian-level junior referees, but he's, we're very lucky to have him here in WA, and I have so much time for him as a referee. And he was in Geraldton at that time, at the time that I was actually coming through and finishing Year 12 and looking to move down to um, to Perth for university. And he, um, they had a newly developed conference team that was just, they were going to put the first team in in the first year that I was coming down to Perth. And he got a hold of Dave Hancock, who was coaching that time at, at, at that time, along with Sue Harkis, and said, you've got to come and see this kid play. And so they came down to Country Week, where I was playing, yep. and then invited me to come and join the conference side at that. So when I came down to go to university here in Perth, I stepped into the conference squad, was part of the squad for the first year, and then the second year we became the Rockets, and that was the team that went through and won that conference league that gave us the right to put a team into WNBL and here in WA. So it happened very fast. I wasn't... I had no idea of the basketball community in Perth. I had a lot to do, to do with country basketball, but it was a very, very steep learning curve. Um, but yeah, and I, and it had, like two years after coming down, all of a sudden I was facing up to be part of the WNBL squad. So it was a very, very rapid transition at a very fortunate time for myself, I think, professionally. The success you were part of was was pretty remarkable as well. And as soon as you got down to Perth, you started started the Perth Redbacks. What was it? What what lured you to the Redbacks? And that was a that was a hell of a time to be be at the Redbacks. That was the time when Andrew Vlahov was there, Luke Longley was there playing in the men's team. CJ Jackson just arrived, and on the men's show, we recently just did a a tournament where we decided the the best ever SBL championship winning team in that 1990 sorry Redbacks team was the one that won it. What was it like to be at the club at that time with the Redbacks? No worries. So I, I better correct you first. First, I came down and played for East Perth. I, I played okay. for East Perth when I first got down. And then Don Shepherd. Now, here's Don Shepherd in women's basketball. Not too many people know the name Don Shepherd, but quite frankly, he's had more influence on where our women women's program got to um, in terms of winning a WNBL premiership than just about any other coach. And the, the reason is that he was the one that, um, he was assistant coach to Dave Hancock and he was the one that took me over to Redbacks and coached me in Redbacks with, alongside of that team that I'll go into in just a moment. Um, mm. But he was also the, the person that recruited Robin Ma, Tom Ma and Michelle Kims over to us yeah. um, after we'd strengthened um, in the times that we had prior to that that led to us winning the 1992 Premiership. So, And he was instrumental through all that period and he was he was a great coach to have. He was, he was someone that understood work ethic but he also understood how to build a club in terms of like building an actual community. Like it was just the Redbacks at that time were one of the closest knit, knitted clubs I've ever seen in my life, ever, like then and since. It was amazing. And of course, he also got a hold of Andrew as he was coming back from college and Luke mm. then as well. And 
and you know for the couple of years then coming back and then yeah led us to we won the double premiership I think it was in in the 1991 I think it was 1999 and yeah yeah and I mean I can remember a lot about that year I can remember the celebrations after the, the police got a call around to my house <laughs> because, and then we, we sent Luke and Andrew to the front door to meet them and <laughs> they went away again <laughs> um, but yeah it was um it was a fantastic club, and um, yeah, and it was a, a very much a, a very a, a winning culture all round in all ways, but a very very close knit community, and it was a it was a great time to be a part of it. That was for sure. Yeah, Tanya, you've probably answered my next question, but um, <laughs> you would have played, or you have played for a number of different coaches during your career, um, and my my question was, do any of them stand out for you, and why? But you've probably answered it. I I think I believe that I've been coached with arguably the best women's coach in the world, and that would be Tom Ma. Tom Ma's a, a he he coached the Australian women's team at the time that we really hit prominence and started winning medals. But he's also coached three national teams in the Olympics. So he's coached he's coached the Australian teams, he's coached um, the UK teams, and he's coached China in Olympics. So he's, yeah, he's incredibly incredibly talented. But Tom's a teacher by trade, and he was one of those coaches that. He would say, do ABC. And if we did ABC, we won games. So I didn't have to think about what I was meant to be doing or <clears throat> double guess or um, anticipate. I didn't have to do anything except what the coach did. And so as an evolving player at that stage, I was still quite young at the time we won the premiership, I found coaching, I found playing under him to be one of the most rewarding years I'd ever had because once I, I realised how clued up he was and how he had an ability to be able to create things and to be able to teach them from scratch and then to be able to reinforce it over and over and get what he needed out of his players. And, of course, playing alongside of, of names like Robert Maher and Michelle Timms, who have been just such giants in basketball, mm. if you weren't competitive to start with, you certainly were at the end of it because they sort of <laughs> everyone along in their way. Um, but, yeah, he was, he was, for me, a standout coach in that sense. And, I, I you know, I still think, I'm still friends with him today, but... I don't think he even realises how much I admired him as a coach. And he's probably one of the few coaches that actually inspired any sense of awe in me, being the smart mouth that I was. Um, but he he definitely <laughs> was, he's up there. And then I was lucky enough after him to have Guy Malloy as a coach, who's another fantastic yeah. coach who's still coaching WNBL mm. at the moment. Yep. And Guy, he's slightly different to Tom, but, um, but every bit as much of a teacher as what Tom was as well. And um, just a strategist and just... Yeah, I was lucky to get two of them in a row. And Don Shepard too. Don, she- Don Shepard came over here before Tom. The reason he stepped down to give Tom the head coaching position is he knew who Tom was. He'd worked with him before. He recognised and and acknowledged all the experience that Tom brought with him. And I think that those two coaching together too was just an amazing combination. So I've been, I've been incredibly lucky. And then I also had Lloyd Clayman. Now Lloyd Clayman, at, and that was at FBL level at Coburn years and years ago. And Lloyd Clayman now is actually still working with um, the Vic, the Vic Metro state side, mm-hmm. but he's one of the guys that that um, that kills us every year when we go away and try and play <laughs> nationals. I see him step up there as coach of the teams, and I'm like, oh, here we go again, another fantastic <laughs> strategist. But all of the all of the coaches that are the really good coaches are such great communicators, but they're all winners. Like they've got they've got a winning mentality. They they have an ability to cut through to the truth of what needs to be done and, um, yeah, and then a way of being able to get the best out of everybody that plays under them. So I've been very, very lucky throughout my career. 
Going back to that initial Redbacks team and and being part of that team just before you went into the WNBL, did, did it help being part of such a strong club at SBL level help get you ready to be ready for the WNBL? Because we, I spoke to Andrew Vlahov last week and he, he felt like his 1990 Redbacks team could have beaten the Wildcats at that time. That that was the confidence he yeah. had in the Redbacks. Did you feel similarly about your team and but did that help you make the transition you know pretty smoothly? Yeah, because um, Don was coach of the WNBL side and the S and the Redbacks SBL yeah. side, so it flowed through automatically. But Don applied quite basic philosophy to what was required, and that was the extra work. I, I, I'd already played; we already had we already had a team in the WNBL, and I'd already been playing in 1989 when the pilot strike kicked in. Um, I was already three votes ahead of the girl who ended up winning Rookie of the Year in WNBL, but because we mm-hmm. couldn't complete the season, I couldn't go through and claim my title, and that's, I've been dirty about it ever since. <laughs> Two things I'm dirty about is that one, and the fact that when we won the WNBL Premiership, we didn't get a damn ring. We got a freaking silver pewter peanut tray instead of a ring, so I'm not, I'm not happy about that either. <laughs> is, that on, is that on the mantelpiece? Um, or? <laughs> <laughs> but Don um, Don threw open the SBL training sessions because we, when he was raising the Red, Red Bat women up to a level, we trained every morning, and so he had sessions every single morning from six until um, and from six until seven thirty. That's when we trained. So it, didn't, it never it never we never had a conflict with the WNBL training, which was at night, and it was an additional training that we had to an attend to had to attend. And he said, "You dig in for one year, and you'll be a player." and I said, okay, and I dug in for a year, and he was right. So, um, And he applied that philosophy across, and it was Don that um, jumped fully on board with the West Australian Institute of Sport at the time who really drove us to become the athletes that we did at that point in time. In fact, the template that the West Australian Institute of Sport used over here on the breakers in the early days was what Tom Ma took to the Australian Institute of Sport and applied to the Australian mm. team that led to us winning and um, consequently all those medals that we that we took out at the various Olympics and World Games after that. So it was it was a great time to be a part of the sport and if you're committed and um, uh, committed to the vision that that Don and you know and when he passed the torch on to to Tom and Guy and everything, then it was yeah you, we made tremendous strides as athletes and as basketballers. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a remarkable time in basketball at that time. I mean, it was on top of the world. The Wildcats were were on fire. You at the Breakers were on fire, and, and it, I mean, the crowds that we talked we talked to everyone about at the SBL games back in those times. They every, every venue was just just jam packed. It was an amazing time, especially that nineteen ninety two season when you won the WNBL championship. You end up being grand final MVP. Hopefully, you got something better than a, a little silver plate for that. Um, what what are your memories? Of, what are your memories of that 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 remarkable season? Oh, wow. Um, that was the year. So Tom really took us on a journey with the West Australian Institute of Sport. He turned us over to physiologists and he said, right, make athletes out of them, not just basketballers. So the, the physical fitness testing that we were subjected to that year, I, I can't even put words to it. It was <laughs> intense. Michelle Timms qualified for the state cross-country team, although she never really wanted to run it. But, um, but you know, we were running times that were seriously challenging some of the like the athletics department of the West Australian Institute of Sport. It was just... It was intense and it was 
um, overwhelming and it was it was amazing. And so when we won the grand final, I can remember turning to Tasha Barges, we looked at each other and we went, oh, thank God, because we, we <laughs> put in such a year and came out with we, – we came out and played the previous year's grand final winners in our opening game and we trounced them by over 30 points. And mm-hmm. I looked around the room at the, at the end of the game and seriously, everybody in the room could have gone out there and played again. We were that fit. And then we had to cope with um, – at that stage, the WNBL took some t- they took about three to four weeks off because we had the Olympics in the middle of it, which Michelle yep. and um, and Robin and Tom were – well, Tom at that stage, actually, it was Michelle and Robin were involved with. So we had to kind of – Tom had to try and figure out how you sustain out your athleticism when you're not actually competing through that period. So that was that was another thing that he had to, um, to deal with as well. Um, but, you know, we, we came through it and then – when we when we pulled over the line, even if I've still got the game, you can you can watch it if you want. My daughters watch it, and the first comment <laughs> they came out with, they went, "Wow, the commentators really didn't want you to win that, did they?" And I was like, "No, oh, they wow. still didn't believe the WA team was going to take it out." The yeah. entire time, it was really patronising, and they were really condescending when we led the whole game. Like just, it's like they were just waiting for Dan to come up and beat us. And when we won, yeah. they were just saying, "Well, oh well, it's you know, breakers <laughs> have won it." And it's, like, it's, just, it's just a little bit insulting, but it's also yeah. indicative of our story in WA basketball as well. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was uh, my next question. How, how do you actually view the current state or the current state of women's basketball in WA, Tanya? <laughs> As a forward, I'm frustrated. Uh, when I, I I know we've got some tall girls playing in the league, but we're still not using our forwards over here in the same way the East Coast teams do, and I think that that's been to our detriment over the years. I think when when we were strong, and after we won the grand final, we were in the grand, uh, in '92, we were in the grand final in '93, but we've actually been making the final since since um, ni- the 1990s, and we weren't out of finals until late that decade. And part of the reason was that we had amazing forwards, not only just playing WNBL, but coming up through the ranks because when you've got forwards that are, when you have to go and compete inside, it naturally develops more talent in there and what we didn't have, we brought over and so we were known for for our games inside, like we had Natasha and myself and Marianne DeFrancesco who was just a four, six foot four in there, like she was just, but she couldn't the girl couldn't move as well, Yeah, you know and then we had we had others come over like um, Melissa McClure and um Cynthia as she is now and um, you know and Megan and we, we had really tall girls coming over and then we started fostering juniors junior players that came through that were really dominant as well and we really tended to understand that inside outside game for, and for playing as a forward throughout that era and being able to play with the calibre of guards that we had that were able to use that and be able to move the ball inside and out depending on where the scoring had to be, had to be uh, made was just it was fantastic and I watch games now and I hate watching games where it's played on the perimeter. It's played on the mm. three-point line, and there's no penetration. There's no pass in. There's no understanding of a two-man game and a wing. There's no strong post-work inside of you know with, of, of of real talent and strength. And as a result, I find those games when I'm watching those, I find them boring. And I, I often drift into watching the East Coast teams compete where they do have an understanding of that and that does go inside and I'm, I'm envious that they've been able to keep on developing that game and we just seem to fail on that and it do, it's not all related to height. Tasha and I were six foot and we played against people like Jenny Whittle who was six foot six and Rachel Spawn mm. who was six foot three. Like we, we played well outside our height range but you, you can still take on taller players. You just have to be smart about how you do that as a forward and I think that we had that nailed throughout that um, throughout that decade, and it, we seem to have lost it, and it's gone. 
and and I, I I I mourn that because it was part of what I loved about the game so much. So I'd love to see it come back here at WA basketball, but it's it's difficult. There's a lot of the offenses are very are very different now, and um and we tend to, they tend to have very strong similarities of of keeping the ball on the perimeter instead of actually getting it inside and then out again. And yeah, and it's just so if there's one thing that I that I get frustrated about in WA basketball for women, it's that. And the other side is that um, we we tend to foster very much big fish, fish and little pond syndrome and we need to mm. be able to step outside of that. We are constantly challenged by the tyranny of distance. I, I get that. But Americans think nothing about jumping into a bus and driving seven hours to be able to go mm. and compete in tournaments. But we seem to think that that's too far and it's too exhausting and, you know, like, and, and that's just, it shouldn't be done. I mean, Erin was taking 11-hour bus rides sometimes at UMBC over in America if they had to get somewhere, you know, like, and they, you know, they're big, comfortable buses, but, you know, they they travel the distance to make sure they get the games. And I think we need to rethink um, those the challenges of distance and see what we can do about that because until we do, we're constantly, you know, we're constantly going to be challenged by the situation. It's very, very hard to prove to someone that you need to be better at what you do unless you're actually putting them on a court with someone else that knows how to do it properly. Well, great point. We've talked on this show the last couple of weeks about how the Goldfields Giants wanted their women's team to enter the competition, but uh, clubs have voted voted against it because they didn't want to travel. They didn't want to go to Kalgoorlie once a year. Oh, it's five or six hours. It's not. I, I know. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Like, no. it's just, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, like no, we traveled. We traveled much. Every year we used to travel to Meriden for a basketball carnival, and that was played on outdoor courts just for mm-hmm. the fun of it. You know, like and we've lost that. We've lost that joy of being able to go on that road trip, and they were just they were amazing times and. Yeah, it's just that, that just, that, I, and I, I, I challenge that too. I don't think, I don't think they're going to the women's teams and saying, would you mind going to Kalgoorlie? I think they're looking at the logistics of it and just throwing their hands up, yep. but I don't think yep. that would be the players themselves. No, that's what I, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I would think as a team, you would love to do it. I think the, the, the bonding you can get on a weekend like that would be, would be amazing. It, it, yeah, well, we took, last, for the last two years, um, when we actually, when the boys went to Kalgoorlie, I don't think we did it. I think we had a clash this last year, but the year before we actually took the entire girls' team up mm. there and we had the D-League game. We yep. played a, a D-League game against the, the Gold Girls. Actually, we did do it two years in a row. I just didn't go on the last one. I had someone else take it for me. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a fantastic bus trip. It was, it was great. And, yes, it's exhausting, but... You know, it's a weekend. You go and have some fun. <laughs> yeah, <you> recover. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm glad you brought up the Fords as well because when I, I've obviously seen a lot of both of your daughters playing, and when I watch Erin play, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but she looks like in a lot of ways the way you would have been as a player. She she is one of those Fords that does like to play play inside and to use her use her size and strength, and she likes to likes to bang bodies and likes to try to post up rather than step out on the perimeter. Obviously, Bree's a, a a lot of a lighter frame, and she's a guard, so she's a bit different. But do you see a lot of similarities in Erin to to you? I do, I do. Um, I still think that Erin has to develop a side of a game um, that. It was slightly different to mine. I was, I, I, I was always forced to be a lot smarter because I was playing at WNBL from from a lot younger age, and you get, you know, we bought imports in. So every year you front up and you don't know who the team's bought in this year. And um, we stopped doing it after a while because we couldn't buy, we couldn't get imports in that were any better than what we we're producing here, which is a show, which is a demonstration of where we got to over here and how far we've actually come from that. But 
Um, but I stepped in front of every year, and of course they'd always hire someone six, six, six foot two, six foot three, and I'd have to prove if I wanted time on the on the court, I'd have to prove that I was more effective than they were at what I did. So I had to become, I think I had to become a little bit more, I think I had to become sneakier and a little bit more um, adaptable at a younger age. And she's still she's still developing that side. Um, she's probably got a better outside shot than me, and we've not really seen much of that in. Mm. Um, over here as yet, but she certainly uses that over at a college level in America because um, uh, she can shoot. But um, uh, and I, I don't, I don't think I defaulted too many times to the outside shot. Good mid range shot. <laughs> I had a career high of in the WNBL of forty nine point nine nine percent. Still hold the record here in WA. No one's been able okay. to kick me off yet. <laughs> so, um, but I, but I skewed away. We didn't. The three point line was a um, wasn't really in at the time that I was. Um, no, that I had the bulk of my career, so I came well, in later. Not, not, so, not to bring you down, but that was the WNBL <laughs> your percentage in the SBL. You went. You yes. went zero of nineteen. Zero of nineteen at yeah. what? At, from from three point land. Oh, did I throw up nineteen three pointers? Did I? Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they, mate, they must have been at the end of the half time when we had that <laughs> ball in the air because. I can't see too many times where I would have done. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably at my strongest about a meter and a half inside from that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, nah, not my thing. I'm afraid, not my thing, and I've never professed that it is my thing. <laughs> yeah, Tanya, with um, with Erin, one thing I really like about um, the, the the post players is the the passing ability. I've always liked having a good passing post, and I think yeah, and Erin does a good job at that. Yes, yeah, she does. I mean, in the scratch matches um, leading up to it, you know, like she had one game with eight assists, and I mean that's that's phenomenal. Getting a forward that has that many assists on there, so she does a good job at that. Yeah, um, and she certainly had to develop that over in college as well. They have very set plays. It's a very different way of playing. So if you're running a play for something, you have to make sure that you're getting it into what they've actually into the person they've specified receives the ball off the play. So you, you've got to be better at how you pass the ball. So yeah, um, yeah. So she yeah does does really well at that, and you know that that's that's another thing that's missing I think in basketball here is that post to post plays that used to come. You know the post to post pass is a really hard thing to guard, and we don't see too much of it in offenses these days either. No, no. Mm. Just the um, I just just curious about this. You've probably seen every um, player come through the WSBL in your thirty years. Um, who who, <laughs> who who are the the better players that you've watched, and has there been any real standouts um, for you? Um. You know, the SPL is a funny thing because you would think that if you had someone like Michelle Kim's caliber that she'd come in and she'd score 40 points a game, right? Yeah. But, but Timsey came down she was obviously dominant, but part of her strength as a point guard is her ability to understand where the scores need to come from on the court at any given time. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, it was amazing to watch her bring in the rest of, bring in the rest of her, an, an SPL side when she was on the court. So... I'd always hark back to that, but we had we used to have guard, we've had people over here that it was before social media, so no one even knows their name. So you got people like Katrina Linton, for example. She came over from Victoria. She was in the, um, the Vic Country um, state teams as she came through as a junior, and she came over here and she played with the Redbacks for six, seven years, and she was amazing. Like she was she was a phenomenal guard, and I saw her play at Alice Springs Masters 
about four years ago now, and I swear to God, she's not gotten any slower. She was just incredible. <laughs> yeah. And and she was she was dominant what she did, not in the scoring, but she was a dominant point guard, a born point guard. She was amazing. And then we've had players like Miss Melissa um, uh, Melissa McClure who came over, Melissa Sinfield now. She played for Hawks for years, and God knows I, I've lost count of how many premierships they took out because she was, she was just outstanding yeah. at both WNBL and SBL level. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, so she was dominant. And of course, my my, my absolute favourite, Milo, Casey Milo, mm-hmm. who I, I, you know started playing for me when she was a um, little eighteen year old. Like I w- love watching how she developed. She developed into one of the smartest players on the court I've ever seen. Like. Casey's just, and uh, you know, I spent half of my time coaching her saying, if you reach in once more, Casey, I swear to God, I'm coming after you. <laughs> but she's got this phenomenal ability to steal the ball, and she is just such a competitor. And even now, I think what really makes a player for me is someone like Casey, who's taken care of her physical condition for her entire career and has been just so productive, so dominant on the court, not just in scoring, but in the way that she's just an all-rounder in every aspect. You know, I can remember two years ago, Randy, when we played you guys at... Um, uh, up at uh, Morley and I was excited because the first time I thought Casey, Casey had just snapped her body or had an operation on her Achilles or you know yeah, some yeah. part of her ankle she'd done her planet. I thought oh there's no way yep I'm thinking yeah she, there's no way she's going to come back in <laughs> um, this early in and oh, then she stepped out on the court and I'm like I thought you were injured <laughs> <laughs> and she, she has an ability to play through injuries like no one else I've ever seen you know and, she, and it was the same thing she, she stepped out on the court and she was She's a steadying factor in so many teams that she's in. She's just that that X factor that you can't even define. You know, she just makes the team better through what she does. Yeah. And um, yeah, love watching her play. So, and of course, you know, right down to players like Stacey Barr. I've never seen such a shooting machine in my mm. life. Like she is phenomenal as to what she can actually hit. You know, on the court and create her own opportunities. It's not creative for her. She actually knows how to to pull things out herself. So we've had. We've had some amazing players coming through SBL. Sammy, of course, Sammy Whitcomb made a name in the SBL and then rose on from there to go right back to WNBA again after not not being able to hit it when she was younger. So we've seen some phenomenal players, but for me, it's the people it's the people like Casey that have had such a long career and Mel, who just they played for years and years and just so dominant for the entire time that they played in the league. It was just yeah, it was amazing to watch. Yeah, thanks for that. And, and of course, you, you even coached Stacey for a couple of games back in what was it, 2018 as well. So you, you, you've seen her, seen her up close. Um, going back to 1995, that was the year you won the MVP in the SBL. Um, Numbers-wise, yep. it wasn't your biggest year though. Do you do you consider that your best season, or is there another year that you thought was the, the no, best season of, of I, I your don't career? I consider that my best season, not hmm. by a long shot. You you got to remember, back in the day, the WNBL wasn't played over summer; it was played at winter at the same time yep. in SBL. Yep. So so a lot of the players that racked up really big numbers in SBL did so because they actually didn't play WNBL. So they sure. actually, even though they racked up those numbers, they weren't, you know, like all, all respect to them, but they were not the dominant players in WA in that in that time period. Mm. 1995, I won the MVP because I stepped back from WNBL in that year. I took, okay. I took a year off to build a house and, and for my job and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the training schedule um, during that time. So I stepped back. So when I stepped back from WNBL, I was playing every game in SBL, so I won the MVP because of because just because you, when you've got like a, a, the obvious difference at the time between the WNBL sides, because remember we were finals contenders every single year at that point, and and in those years we had um, we had Kimby and Robin come over, and then Robin went back after that year, but and only Kimby, but Kimby was gone a couple of years after that. But we'd already ranked it to the point that we were still making finals even without those imports, without you know having people of that caliber inside. So it was a strong WNBL side. In the year that we were really fit, the year that Tom Mark took us over, 
back and you have a look at, at what we were scoring in SBL in those years, a lot of the squad was scoring in the 40 points a game when they mm. played. Yeah, but they were, but some of them could have only played four or five games in a season just because yep. of the way that the the actual schedules worked out. So in in some sense, I think the SBL missed out because we, we, the stats and the amount of games that these girls played didn't really capture the caliber of the players that we had here at the time because it, you know we just we were limited as to how many games we could play and it was frustrating because we would have WNBL and SBL so we were like playing back to back and training mm. and and just it was so intense for so many months and then. It would stop at, in September and we would have nothing. The place would be a desert until <laughs> yeah. the pre-season in January again. And I think it's probably easier for a player to maintain physical conditioning now when you don't have such an aggressive off-season. Yeah, well, that's um, my point, I think, with this West Coast Classic tenure. I'm sort of pushing and hopefully it, um, someone grabs it is um, maybe having this in uh, November, December and then, it, you, you know, yeah. you haven't got such a gap. Yeah, it is so necessary. We are so devoid of the amount of games that we need to be playing. You can, you should see what the domestic leagues are like over in Victoria, and this is at every single like stadium over in the in the um, state. You go over and you see people that amazing basketballers who might not be able to play up in the higher levels of BBL and into NBL one or receivers it was previously, but they still go down and they'll play domestic twice a week, you yeah. know, every single week. And some of the competitions they have they have coaches, and it's really strong, really strong. So you can you can pretty much go where you need to go to get any gameplay all year round. There's no reason for you to lose anything. And in fact, there's a strong argument suggests you having to adapt to different scenarios and different um, requirements down, you know, down in domestic and, and really being able to hone up what you do that actually strengthens your ability to take the next step up. But over here, we just, we don't have it. And it is diabolically difficult to get it started up. And um, and it, it's very, very frustrating because we, we need it like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Everybody talks about the off-season and and, and it's great and we don't have basketball in the off-season. I'm like, you, you don't get it. The longer that you have out of the competition, the harder it is to maintain conditioning and take a step up because what you sh- should be doing season after season is actually improving on, on last year's results. But with such a such a strong dip every single off-season, it's very, very hard to do that. And, you, you know, we've got to face back. Victoria, are under, they, are, there is, they are just under siege at the moment with what they're at. And we don't know when this COVID situation is mm. going to be totally under control. Conceivably, Victoria might not not be up and running for, you know, for over a year if we can't get a vaccine that that brings this thing under control. They're not in the same situation we are. So now's our chance. Get better now. Yeah. <laughs> we might be able to take out the big <laughs> Jump. Head start. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, speaking of that as well, and you touched on it before, I was really, I'm really happy to hear that you're, you, you know, sort of more heavily involved in basketball now through Aussie, Aussie prospects. Um, I guess COVID-19 is going to affect a lot of what this next period looks like for you, but but what does this next little period of life life look for you? What what have you what have you got lined up? <laughs> I, I, everything's sort of up in the air at the moment because yeah. of COVID. So we can't. A lot of the things I planned on doing because Aussie prospects suited my work schedule a little bit more too because it's it's intense for when you take the the girls away to tour. So for two to three weeks over in the states, but there's not the same level of commitment that's required. In, in the sense of, you know, you've got to have your two team sessions a, a week and you've got to have recovery sessions and then you've got to have individuals. And so it's not it's not as dominant like that through the week. So that schedule suited me a little bit more. But without that, um, all, we've got the camps and things and they're, they're, they're well received, there's no doubt. But 
we're we're in danger of, of exacerbating that big fish and little pond situation again. We've only got ourselves mm. to compete against, you know. Yeah. So and who knows? We don't know how long that could be too. That could be for a very long time. So we need to get better at what we do to make each other better. And um, yeah. So for me, I guess I'm I'm just waiting to see how this pans out. Where Erin still wants to go back to the United States at the end of yep. August, and okay. her, you know, she's changed universities and she's going to Eckerd in Florida. Okay. Yeah. So that yeah, the epicenter of COVID in the world. It has, it has been. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still I'm still challenged as to whether that's a smart decision for her to go back or not because it, if anything goes wrong, trying to get her back in the country and then having oh, to go through quarantine yeah. in a hotel and that becomes very complicated because it's not an easy thing to just bring um, our, our people back to Australia no, now. You know, no, it, it might be that she has to make a sacrifice and also they've cancelled all season, so you lose you lose two months of games over there yep. um, in eligibility. So my argument is that you're probably better off giving up a year of eligibility at the moment and then go back when you get a solid two years when things are settled down rather than, you know, sort of like a year and a half of, of whatever they can muck together because COVID is affecting everything. So, yeah, it's throwing all those plans in disarray. So I guess a lot of what I'm doing is waiting on to see what happens with um, my daughters and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, what we can do from an international perspective. And so and, and a lot depends on plans with West Coast Challenge too. So, yeah, sure. um, as you say, if there's something that comes on in summer that, that looks, uh, you know, more interesting, then it could be that I, I go back to it and start in some mm-hmm. aspect to assist in some way, but um, I'm keeping options open at the moment because I must admit I've enjoyed the rest. Yeah. <laughs> um, one last question from me. Um, especially during 2018 when you were coaching, who was the toughest person for you to coach coach against in the in the SBL? And and it might be a bit of a leading question. <laughs> <laughs> to coach against. Um, you know, that, that's a hard one to pinpoint because... Most of most of what you do as a coach has, has is done before you step up to your game. It's done in your training sessions in your prep. So yeah, you do remember you do remember my co-host though. <laughs> <laughs> I know Tanya's got a soft spot yeah, for me. I, I, I love Randy, and I think he did a great job with the team. But I was more scared of Tasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I don't blame you. Coach, I can I can tell you now. There's a lot of the, it's very effective when you've got a very strong leader on the court because they can do so much more than a coach can from the bench. Sure. It's, it's oh, yeah. uncanny. What you know, like yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm just trying to think. Probably, oh, I don't really know. I don't really know. I love the way <laughs> I love the way Docky coaches. Yeah, she's she, she's got so many contingency plans up her sleeve, and so she and she gives you nothing. She she gives no quarter. So no, she doesn't. Um, yeah, and she's developed a strong program and, and really done the most with a very strong junior program that's come through the Hawks as well. So I always enjoy seeing what she's pulling out. You probably enjoy um, you probably enjoy the way her teams play too because there is a bit of post-to-post action oh, with the girls yeah. on their team. I can remember the first year she took it over. I went up and I actually congratulated her because she actually had the whole she, – she had a post pinning beautifully and that whole triangle with the, you know, being mm. able to swing the ball and, and, and to really be able to pinpoint the post inside. And it's almost unstoppable. Which, and as like as a defensive as a defensive player, like talking about trying to guard something like that, it's just, it's, oh, it's diabolically hard guard. Like as soon as you've got someone that's really effective inside, it's it's all hands on deck because it puts you in foul territory straight away. You know, you're you're literally flirting with danger every second that you're playing defense on a team like that. So, um, yeah, so actually I, I did up and congratulate that year, and I do like that. I suppose that's why I like the way that her teams play as well. That she gets that inside-outside game, and she and she holds her team accountable to actually um, deliver that as well. So yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Well, Tanya, we better yeah. let you go, but it, it kind of feels like feels like we've been talking for ten minutes. But this this has gone <laughs> this has gone very quickly, and it's kind of been like every other time I've sat down and, and talked with you. The time just seems to fly because there's always so much to talk about. But you've been you've been such a great servant of basketball in WA. So, like I said, such a great winner and such a great such a great personality. Everything you've done has been been successful. And take away the win loss record at East Perth the last two years, you did so much good for that club as well. Um, but for now, um, I better let you go. And, and thank you for joining us on SBL Shoot Around. Thank you. As always, lovely to chat. Nice to talk to you both. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, back here on SBI Shoot Around, and and that was fantastic. That chat with Tanya Fisher, Randy. I mean, we could have easily gone for another hour with her. We it was just such a casual, fun conversation with somebody that's got an incredible basketball history, but a great basketball brain. That I really enjoyed that. Yeah, she's so easy to talk to, and it's a story that you know shouldn't be forgotten. For that's sure. why we we do this sort of stuff so we can remember what Tanya had done. Yeah, exactly why we want to be doing a show like SBR Shootaround to give the people of historic value in basketball and WA a voice. We want them to be able to share their stories. So I hope you're all enjoying listening to them. So thanks to Tanya for being so generous with her time. Before we wrap up this show, we will announce who we're talking to next week as well. And if you enjoyed us speaking to Tanya, you'll even you'll enjoy even more who we've got lined up for next week. We're really excited. So I'm sure you will be as well before we get to that we've got round two of the west coast classic two to look look forward to we've got four games starting on friday night darts at belmont oasis perth redbacks up against the coburn cougars randy um from what i've seen on saturday night i'll tip the the redbacks they seem to be uh, their structure's really good um so I'll, i just think that might be a little bit a little bit too big for coburn yeah i think the redbacks too even though they the difference from their two games on the weekend was massive i think they might have found a lot of answers on saturday night down in mandurah um another friday night game in eden not a not a massive fan of that i think they probably should be sticking to, to saturday night games when you can for the trip down down to bunbury but ne- nevertheless the southwest slammers up against the rockingham flames yep i'll go with the flames in this have uh, opened their account well you know beating beating coban i think that they'll they'll get over the slammers yeah i think rockingham as well wilderness tigers another another home game on a friday night at their new stadium so i do urge you to all check it out if you haven't had a chance to look at it yet it's one of the one of the best new new venues now in the state they host the mandra magic yeah i'll go for Willerton tigers in this i think it'll be closer than what people think uh, I just think two losses you know Simon wouldn't have been happy no, he wouldn't that. Be. and you know playing at home for the second time they'll they'll want to desperately get a win I think yeah and I think in a shortened season and when we've only got a top four going 0-3 to start would be really tough to come back from so yeah important game for Willardton so I'll stick with the Tigers as well um also on Friday night this is a this is a fascinating one too this will be a this will be a great game Lakeside Lightning hosting the Perry Lakes Hawks yeah, I don't know about this one here. Um, I'll go for Prairie Lakes Hawks in this one. And close, so I mean, yeah. Lightning obviously had a fantastic win. Like I said, with those two um, twins in their yep. team, it's, it, it gives them a whole different look. So just go maybe Prairie Lakes, just a little, maybe by a couple. Yeah, be, yeah. But both of these two teams have ended up with really strong, experienced squads. So it'll be be a terrific game. I think I might go Prairie Lakes as well, just just because Docky always gets the best out of her teams. Not to say not to say that Steve Bazant doesn't, but yeah, I mean, it's a toss of the coin one, I think. Yeah, um, it definitely is. Saturday night, Mandra Magic, another doubleheader for, for the Magic. They're back at home to host the East Perth Eagles. Yeah, I'll tip Magic in this one, which uh, I think it'll be, a, it'll be a close one as well. It just depends who Mandra get on the floor. You yep. know, they might possibly have Racheline back mm. and, and maybe Kelly Bailey. Yep. So I'll, I'll tip them. Next up, up at, up at Warwick Stadium, Warwick Senators hosting the Southwest Slammers. 
yeah, senators in this one, are, you know, let's hope doesn't get too ugly, to be honest, mm. because um, the Slammers, it's tough doing a doubleheader and a you know, young squad on the road for the first time, you know, with a lot of them anyway, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, senators by a lot. Yeah, I think the senators as well. Be interesting if Michaela Dyer ends up playing for the senators and she'll end up playing against her team from yeah. from last year, which would, would be would be interesting. Um, Coburn Cougars at home to the Joondalup Wolves. Yep, I'll go with the Wolves in this. They were outstanding in round one there yep. with uh, getting rid of the Redbacks by 20, 25 yeah. points. So, yeah, I'll go with the Wolves. Yeah, hard to go against that form, so I'll go for the Wolves as well. This is a cracker to finish with too. Perry Lakes Hawks hosting the Perth Redbacks. Yeah, I'll go with the Hawks at home mm. um, in another close game. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it should be a good one. But I'll go I'll go Perry Lakes as well on their home floor. So that's round two of the West Coast Classic. Get out to the games if you can because we're seeing some really exciting exciting action and it's just great to have basketball back. Now, before we wrap up this week's show, Randy, it's been a, been a terrific show. I've really enjoyed it, but... I'm really excited already for next week. Can you announce who we're going to be speaking to? Yeah, we're going to be speaking with Tully Bevelacqua. So we made contact with Tully and she's uh, very keen to come on and, and have a chat. And, you know, a lot like Tanya, it's good, going to be good to, you know, listen to her and, mm. and what she'd done in the past, not only in the SBL, but, you know, the Australian side as well. And, yep. and yeah, so really looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, not often you get somebody who is a legend of the SBL, a legend of the WNBL, a legend of the WNBA and a legend of the Australian Opals. It's not often you get somebody of this caliber she's still heavily involved in basketball over in indiana as well i believe for this upcoming wnba season she'll be back involved in the in the the tv broadcast as a commentator so she she remains heavily in basketball she's one of not just wa's great she's one of australia's great basketball players so for somebody like that to agree to come on to our show here at sbl shoot around shows that we must be doing something right yeah well you know it's it's people can look up at her she's a you know young lady that's been brought up in the wheat belt in meriden to get to you know where she has it's uh you know anyone can reach those goals if they put their put their mind to it yeah absolutely to to come from those roots to end up being one of the best players in the world it, it's just just incredible so can't wait to speak to her and i'm sure you'll enjoy us bringing her to you as well but so that's it for this week thanks for all of our supporters thanks for our listeners and thanks for the basketball players for getting back on the court to give us some action with the west coast classic i'm chris pike and i'll sign off for this week and leave you with randy meagle yeah, I just wanted to bring up the the time slots that uh, with the West Coast Classic. It's something that uh, you know the SBL can experiment with. I just found the five o'clock start there on Saturday was was good. Um, you know, obviously there's some points for and against. You know, whether it's you know kids sports still happening at that time of the day and you can't get there or you know what whatever it may be. But it just it actually felt really good to I suppose leave the stadium at a good time where you could possibly go and you know grab some tea out or you. Know, you could do something with your night you weren't sitting there until 10 10 30 at night so i think uh yeah the sbl if 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 they want to do it now's the time to do it and experiment with a different few different time slots yeah look forward to um hopefully getting some more like getting getting some tips correct this week chris (laughs) it was woeful last week so you would be in front of me i'm guessing did you i haven't tallied it up yet but i don't think i could could have possibly gone as bad as you did Uh, terrible so yeah look forward to um, speaking to everyone again next week and um, obviously um, we'll have that interview with Tully so thanks a lot